Welcome to the Blue Jay Beat. I'm your host, Matt DeMarinas, and uh, pleased to be joined by my buddy from Hale Varsity, Jacob Badilla. We are here to break down oh, a few things. Yeah, Creighton played Georgetown twice in the, on the men's side, and, um, and then the women uh, had a, I don't know, kind of like a, a tune-up weekend, I think, because Xavier and Butler are not any good, so... Um, Certainly, Butler's not any good. Xavier's Xavier's not any good either, but Butler's much worse. How about that? Um, so that that to set them up for uh, the next uh, their final three games of the regular season that are going to be pretty tough. Uh, two on the road, one at home against DePaul. Um, so yeah, we're just going to jump right in and try to analyze this buffet of Jays games and get you set up for the stretch run here for both sides and. Um, Jacob, thank you for hopping on. Thanks for being generous with your time. I know it's valuable because you're always running from one thing to the next. Uh, so I appreciate you opening a window to uh, to chat with me in an official capacity here. Yeah, well, it worked out that I was able to go to uh, the Georgetown game. I did not get to see any of the, the first game. Mm. I was out in uh, Grand Island all day on Saturday watching high school hoops. Uh so I, I can't really compare one versus the other, but I, I was there. Uh, actually, I was courtside by the, the Creighton Hoot for the second half uh, as well. So did you um, did you watch Ryan Hawkins warm up before last night's game? Uh, I wasn't paying attention, not really. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what Saturday's game was like. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just he was he was shooting a lot of uh, poorly defended shots and filling it up. Well, so, yeah. yeah, that's I kind of tweeted before the game like I was there and hopefully Georgetown would forget to guard Ryan Hawkins again. And yeah. then like two possessions in, he got a wide open three. Right. Like, oh, and unfortunately, it didn't go in, but still. Yeah, you know what? That's a I. I uh, did the um, pregame show with Ravi Lula before last night's game. And he asked if Saturday provided any kind of revelation offensively for Creighton. And my response was, I don't really know because you kind of have to adjust for Georgetown's defense. Um, they're just – they're undisciplined. They don't move their feet. Uh, they kind of just ball hawk and fly around that way, but it's not really any coordinated type of – I don't know. It's just – there's a. I think there's a lot of – a lot of what Creighton does uh, just innate. That's just a part of their DNA offensively that – lends itself to playing with pace and finding shooters and getting on a roll against a defense like that. We saw it with St. John's too. That's a similar type of style of defense a little bit. So I don't know if Creighton turned a corner offensively. That's kind of the best way I put it. If they did, they certainly could have, but if they did, I need to see it against a different, a different defense other than Georgetown's where, where are you? on just that specific topic in terms of how Creighton played offensively these last two games and, and how much of it is a uh, fool's gold versus substance. 
Yeah, I mean, so, some of, <clears throat> excuse me, some of it was just them simply hitting shots. I mean, mm. Alex O'Connell missed his, I think, two first two looks, like both catch and shoot, and then he pulls up crossover off the dribble, buries it. Yeah. Like that's that's the one that goes in after right. the ones that you miss. Um, it was just ca- that kind of a day, and then uh, once once O'Connell cooled off, then Hawkins uh, caught fire. Um, so some of it was just simply shot making, and then apparently, I, I guess what is like twenty some points from Keyshawn Fizel in two games. I don't know if that means eight for eight from the like, field, Hill yeah, three. Yeah. Looking like he was uh, back at McNeese State, so I don't know if that's saying that uh, Georgetown is the equivalent of a Southland team or <laughs> what that means. But I think he had uh, four dunks and a three pointer in the two games, so yeah. not bad. No, but uh, so yeah, a lot of it was in. I mean, they got some opportunities just because of the pressing, like people. Oh, the press tour. For stretches there, Creighton, and we'll get into this once we get more into uh, talking about the game and kind of how it played out. But yeah. um, Creighton beat the press fine for stretches, and then and not only did they beat it, they got buckets out of it, and then it started working down the stretch. But they also slowed down and made some bad decisions, and so like the the press, it was hit or miss. Like sometimes the press worked, other times it just gave up easy buckets for Creighton. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like it's. It, I think it's kind of like where people fall into the, the, like the zone thing where they only remember when it works for the defense. Like, Oh, why don't teams do this all the time? Like, well, if they did it all the time. Like you're only remembering when it worked, not when that Korean actually did score against it. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get that selective memory thing going on there. And if you're um, at the mercy of also, a team, if you're at the mercy of a team, not scoring, that's not really defense. That's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also, um, like if it's not something, and that's something of fans like I think don't really get. If it's not something that you work on regularly, you're probably not going to be that good at it. Like you should do what you're good at, not necessarily. Oh, they're bad against this, so we're going to like they can't handle the press, so we'll press them all game on. Yeah. If you're not a pressing team, then it doesn't really. It probably won't matter. You'll probably lose out on, on that. Like you'll you'll give up as much as you gain from doing it. Like you're better off just doing what you do well as opposed to trying to game plans hyper-specifically to what your opponents struggle with, irrespective of what your own strengths are. Um, so it's like, oh, just like same thing. Like, oh, just run a 2-3 against whatever this team, and it'll be fine. Like, well, if you don't work on a 2-3, if you don't have a personnel that fits into a 2-3, it's not a long-term winning strategy. Um, so I think that was kind of the – because I heard a lot of people talking about the, the press and the problems it was giving. And there's no doubt the Creighton's not equipped uh, to – be great uh, against a really good pressing team. Um, but I think Creighton caused its own problems as well against that press more so than um, the press simply smothering Creighton. Yeah. And this is a, this is a really weird uh, series to evaluate from Creighton's side of things because you don't usually play, especially in the regular season, two games in three days against the same opponent. That's more of like a thing you'll see in the NBA at times, but not in college. So, well, that was the weird, well, that was a weird thing for me uh, covering Nebraska volleyball last year uh, during that season where it was only conference play and you were doing back-to-backs playing the same team twice in in one weekend. mm -hmm. Um, So that was really kind of weird for me covering wise because you're like, I just saw this matchup, so yeah. <laughs> now here I am watching it again. So it was kind of weird to evaluate, um, and I think this is kind of the, the same deal here. And the thing that enters into the equation, I think, that maybe 
is more prevalent with this type of situation than it would be normally is the first matchup is kind of fresh in your mind. And, you know, I think going into the second one, it was, although Creighton was at home for the second one and, you know, had some advantages there in terms of environment and familiarity, there was also like a wonder about whether, what type of focus and energy would they bring from the jump? Because, of the way the first matchup played out on Saturday, like it didn't seem, you know, the Creighton pulled away from that first game. Right. So there wasn't a whole lot of stress down the, down the stretch. And I think that would lend itself to some complacency on the part of the winning team. You know, I think we saw the earlier example that comes to mind is uh, Seton Hall and St. John's played twice in three days. Uh, Seton Hall won kind of a grinder of a, you know, a clunker of a game at MSG came back and hosted the the rematch at Walsh gym on their campus uh, two days later, and they got run out of the, run off the floor. So, you know, that, that was kind of in my mind in terms of, okay, how's Creighton going to come out? Because you're still facing a Georgetown team that's capable of winning games. They just haven't done it yet. So you're, you're dealing with a little bit of a dangerous situation here because if you're Creighton, it's you're in a three, you're in, you're on the last leg of a three game stretch that you cannot afford to lose any of, right? Like you had to win, you had to go three and oh against Butler at home and then the Georgetown home road split, right? So if you wanted to be an NCAA tournament team, you couldn't drop any of those games. And, and on top of it, you've only got eight players. Yeah. And then, well, yeah, but that, that's, I don't know. I think the, the, they answered that question on Saturday. I was the, the thing that I was looking for on or last night was how they would come out. Like, how would they start the game? You know, would they, would they think it's that Georgetown's is going to come in and let them roll over them and, and kind of pack in their season and things like that. And they didn't do that. Like Georgetown, that, that game was really, you know, you look at a few things from Creighton's side of it and there were, there were some concerns through the first, uh, you know, six, seven, eight minutes of that game. Uh, Georgetown was getting offensive rebounds. Uh, Creighton was fouling a lot. And those are bad trends because, number one, offensive rebound. I think that's self-explanatory, right? Offensive rebounding, you just don't want to give up second-chance points to a team that struggles to shoot and struggles to score because then you get them believing that they can just physically dominate you and they'll be more aggressive going to the glass uh, to create opportunities for themselves to get points out of their possessions. The fouling thing was really problematic because, to your point, Creighton didn't have a deep bench. They only dressed nine guys, um, and then you know Ryan Hawkins is banged up, and 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 Ryan Kalkbrenner isn't that far removed from from a pretty severe looking ankle sprain. So, um, you don't want to be racking up fouls against a team like that. And honestly, that kind of almost cost him in the end when. You know, Keyshawn Vizel is at four. Trey Alexander fouls out. You know, have a ball hand, an extra ball handler against the press. Like that. And man, those those last two fouls were bad by the, the and ones that Keyshawn and Trey gave up. Exactly. Like, so yeah, you don't want to be plays. right. So that's the early on. It was it was troubling because like okay, Creighton's doing two things that regardless of when they play Georgetown, whether it's whether the rematch is coming a day later or fifty days later, you don't you know you have to clean up the defensive glass and keep Georgetown off the free throw line. 
because they struggle to score. So you don't want to make it easier for them, right? That's just that's letting them limit the letting them live at the free throw line and letting them cash in on tip ins or second chance opportunities under the rim with their length and their physicality. You don't want to play that game. And Creighton was playing that game early, and that's why it was despite Creighton's hot shooting, they couldn't get away from them for the for you know the first seven or eight minutes. So to me. That was a little bit of a problematic start. How did you evaluate that first, those first, you know, six, seven or eight minutes until they got to that under 12 timeout? Yeah, it was kind of, like you said, it was kind of interesting because on the one hand, Creighton mostly was scoring off some good shot making. And on the other hand, Georgetown was mostly scoring because of Creighton mistakes. Mm. And they were give, getting a lot, uh, I guess Creighton was giving them a lot of what they were getting to hang in there. Uh, so it was like, all right, which, which of these is more likely to continue? Will Creighton continue to shoot well? Will Creighton continue to give up offensive rebounds and give the ball away and, and putting them at the line? Um, and the answer ended up being shots are going to keep falling and Creighton did yeah. clean up the other stuff. I thought they did a much better job of like gang rebounding. There were a lot of rebounds like after that start where you had a bunch of guys in there tipping the ball around and eventually one of the guards would kind right. of pull it down. Yeah, um, I thought that improved as the game went on. And the fouling thing, I think Mac talked about after the game it, that, that's a result of just them not being able to practice because the quick turnaround and, and the limited roster, like those are things like they really work on of being in the right position, proper hand placement, um, sliding your feet, not fouling. That is kind of at the core of max defensive philosophy is we're not going to put teams at the free throw line. Yep. And it's hard to, to play that well or play that way without practicing it. Um, so the fact that they haven't been able to practice, like normal, uh, Mac felt kind of contributed to the the number of fouls that they gave up um, uncharacteristically. Um, so that that certainly was the case. But also, I, I thought some of what, for the most part, Crane's defensive philosophy and was sound and or Georgetown's offensive philosophy was completely flawed, where most almost every possession was they came down and. Uh, Dante Harris took up, uh, fired up a, like a pull-up jumper and he hit some of those. He scored mm-hmm. 23 points, but it took 24 shots like that. He's, and you watch him shoot. It is not a pretty jumper. It went in, but it's so hitchy. And I, I actually add free throws into that too, because, so I think it took him 29 shots. Cause oh I, yeah. I, I was just talking about shots, not even yeah. shooting possessions. Cause he was like, four for five at the free throw line. So really he was 20 points on 24 shooting possessions essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're green, you'll live, you'll be fine. Like, yeah, he's going to hit some of those 17 foot pull-ups, but you're banking on over the long haul. Uh, he's going to miss more than he makes and you're going to be able to score more on your end. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately I actually think like, Max oh, said that. I think he said those exact words. Like <laughs> we wanted them to take tough twos and we were, we were kind of like, I think he used the word hopeful, but, He's being kind of polite. Like I think he anticipated yeah. that if Georgetown, if they kind of set those traps for Georgetown for some of their more aggressive ball handlers, that they would take those shots and that Creighton was willing to just live with them because they weren't going to knock a high percentage of those down. Yeah. And uh, Mina Muhammad made some plays in there that like, there's just not much you could do. Um, just like, Hey, he's a pretty talented kid here making a great play yeah. finished with 27 and 10. And he was, I uh, got to the line quite a bit, took 11 free throws, but outside of him, they really didn't have anything. Again, it was Harris coming down and taking bad shot, bad shot, bad shot. Some of them went in, more of them didn't. And you add that to the fact that 
They could not throw it in the ocean from deep. Uh, Rice, Caden Rice, zero for six. Uh, and he was a bad. He was a he was a bad zero for six too. It wasn't like oh (laughs) yes, it wasn't like an it wasn't like an unlucky zero for six. Like I don't know how many times he got rim. So yeah. my two favorite moments of the game. We'll, we'll talk about this later if you want to. Once we get more into the game, uh, g- game flow and kind of how it played out. But uh, my two favorite plays of the game. One of them in- included Caden Rice, um, and I was it, didn't show it, us in the moment. Was but, it the thirty foot pull up with them down by six that hit the other side of the backboard? No, that wasn't that wasn't no. it. Uh, but that was that, was, that was like that was I was like, why would play. you shoot that? You're over four. Right, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll just uh, I'll just say it now. Uh, apparently, so. You know when uh, Modestus got fouled? Yeah. Uh, so Rice was guarding him in the corner and helping way off. And oh. he dropped <laughs> his gum on the court. Yeah. <laughs> bent down to pick up the gum as Modestus back cut on him. Yeah. Caught the ball and got fouled on the reverse. Right. Right. right? I remember that. <laughs> Dude, high major basketball getting back cut because he bent down to pick up gum that fell out of his mouth. I give him credit for that because he was in a he was in a defensive stance when the gun fell. So like <laughs> he was doing okay up into that point, and you know just a fluke occurrence of the gun falling out of your mouth. But yeah, you definitely can't prioritize the gum in that situation. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the uh, the facilities uh, maintenance people were uh, happy he made that choice, but. Uh, I, I don't think Patrick Ewing felt the same. That's brutal. Uh, I wonder how many but, guys chew gum while they play. I, I honestly don't think I could a bunch no. of them. I think that's rare. Uh, I see. I see a lot of people do it. Um, think so? okay. at, at various levels. Um, I could never do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that I've ever seen that happen before, where it's fallen out, and that's yeah. part of the reason. Like, I I feel like that might happen with me. So I'm like, eh. yeah. Not to mention, like I'm, I have enough problems breathing as it is when I'm running up and down. So, like, I don't need any anything that is that would make that more difficult. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, uh, good um, for him though. Yeah, well, just to just to uh, highlight one more of our talking points here, the, the offensive rebounding part of it. Uh, Georgetown had six offensive boards in the first eight and a half minutes. They only had one the rest of the first half. So, to your point that you made about guards peeling back and you know just sneaking a hand in there because you know maybe they can't win the jumping battle maybe they're not in position but you know you just like tap the ball around and you know fight after it and just get two hands on it when you can you know what I mean I think those there were a lot of those plays that Creighton started making more towards the middle part and latter portion of the first half that allowed them to win more of those rebounding battles and like i said georgetown only i think coming out of the uh maybe it was the under 16 i felt like that was kind of late though there was some stoppage in play and they came right out and i think it was like 12 and a half minutes or something like that left 13 minutes and dante harris flew in and grabbed a board got fouled hit two free throws and it's like okay this is starting to become an issue here for creighton so from that, that, that point on, from that. that point on, I don't know what happened, but they only allowed one after that. So yeah, that one was on Roddy, uh, and it was bad luck too um, because he back cut uh, on Roddy right when like the shot was going up. So his back cut took him into position because Roddy is denying the pass on the cutter. So he's yeah. behind him, like trailing him, yeah. and then the shot went up and the ball dropped right to him. But he also did kind of uh, push Roddy out of the way. It's like kind of manhandle them out of the way as a smaller point guard. It's like, 
uh, yeah, you probably do need to fight a little bit harder than even if you were out of position. Uh, so that that's kind of bad luck, but also it did kind of like, yep, all right, uh, this is the problem here. Yeah, and there were a few others, and there's. Well, they clean that. Like, they clean that up. Like I said, they, yeah. when they made their when they made their like their the run that changed the game that basically put it on ice that that was something they they were cleaner with. So you, it was good to see because. You know, it's funny because the game kind of changed. I don't know if, I don't know why, but, you know, Creighton had that offensive rebound and then Hawkins makes that play on the baseline where he tries to kick it to AO and it goes out of bounds because Ewing, Patrick Ewing, who was turned around kind of giving his like down the bench players like a brief bit of instruction or something like that was on the court when it happened and Alex O'Connell tripped over him and fell, so he couldn't catch the pass. So it went from a turnover on Creighton, Georgetown ball, in a one-point game, by the way, to a Class B technical foul on Georgetown's bench because Ewing was on the court and he tripped a player. So Alex O'Connell hits the free throw, which is a, it's a one – Class B technical fouls are one-shot free throws. Yeah. Um, so he hits the one freebie, and then he bangs the three on the – you know, they get the ball back. He bangs the three right there. So a four-point possession right there for Creighton goes from them up one to them up five and on kind of a weird play. And then uh, apparently, Alex, O'Connell, I, Alex O'Connell scored 16 of his 19 points um, in the of his 19 first half points in that final stretch of the first half after that trip. Well, so he went okay. – he, he that thing got him going at that, that three. Yeah. So, so uh, apparently I was told that uh, – uh, Ewing was like five feet out on the court, like in the course of play uh, in the game on Saturday. Someone sent me a screenshot of it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, yeah, Pat, you might want to try to find, figure out where the, the boundaries are over there. Like, I know yeah. you used to be a player, but you're not anymore. You can't be out there. Um, maybe he needs to get a, a get back guy on his staff or something to, to help him out there. But yeah, probably <laughs> need to. Uh, avoid doing that moving forward, but you, you talk about kind of the deciding run there. So hold on, hold up, though. the funny, the funny story about a get back guy though, for Ewing is good. Last night towards the end of the game, when he was really starting to try to get a technical, um, you know, he was mother effing the ref and he got teed up and Louis or his assistant coach came off the bench to come get him. And I, th- I don't know how Ewing sensed that he was coming to get him, but Ewing immediately turned right down and told him to sit down. Like, so, and it worked. Like, yeah. he's, he stopped Louis or in his tracks, and Louis just went back to the bench and sat down. So, I, I don't, I think, I'm not saying you're wrong that Ewing needs to get back guy, but I don't know if he's receptive to that idea. So, uh, based on his performance of, or his behavior last night. So, yeah, it would have to be a very specific person. Like, what's the, <laughs> Charles Oakley up to yeah exactly Charles Oakley. <laughs> that's a guy that I don't yeah. think would be afraid to stand up yeah and I, was, I was sitting with my friend and he said like yeah I would not like to be an official when, when Patrick Ewing gets on you like what are you even supposed to do he's like yeah. cowering over you as just a normal sized person standing over there and yeah like, yeah it's, it's, it would be an intimidating place to be in anyway yeah but, sorry to distract from your point yeah. but I wanted to add that to your yeah, to your idea about a get back man for Ewing yeah yeah, it's a good idea might be more difficult to pull off uh, yeah. in reality. But <laughs> so yeah, that kind of got Alex going and the, they were up 34-29 and then basically went on a 14-0 run. And they were 6 of 7 from the field 
two or three from three during that run. And Alex had 10 of those points himself. He had the, the backdoor cut for a dunk that got it started. He had the two threes, both catch and shoot threes. And and then he had that little get in the lane, turn around a little kind of push shot that, Mm -hmm. uh, that he liked. Uh, The other buckets were there for, were the R2 layup on um, that kind of like broken play where the outlet pass went off Ryan Kalkbrenner's head mm-hmm. and then deflected off a Georgetown hand right into Roddy who went in for the layup or uh, R2 who went in for the layup. Um, and then the other bucket was a nice little post uh, hook in the post from Keyshawn Fizel who kind of faced up and created his own shot. Uh, so that, that was kind of that deciding run that, that blew the game open. There was 14-0. And Georgetown went 0 for 7 from the field uh, with two missed threes and a turnover during that stretch. Mm -hmm. So he went from a five-point game to suddenly they're they're up uh, 19 points. And then Amino Mohamed gets a tip in uh, at the end of the half to make it 48-31 at the half. But at that point, that was kind of when Creighton really, like, took control, and it mostly was Alex O'Connell. Yeah, there was – it was – I'm trying to think of the stretch here, but – yeah, Creighton was down 17-15. Sorry, I was away from the mic. Creighton was down 17-15. And over the next 14 minutes, Alex O'Connell scored 25 points to put him up 23. So basically, like that's an entire Alex O'Connell run, essentially. If you just yeah. if you just zero it out on Georgetown's end of it, they went from minus two to plus 23 with Alex O'Connell scoring 25 points in that stretch. So he scored 25 of his 20, he ended up with 27, but he scored 25 in a 14 minute span over the final 12 and a half minutes of the first half and the first two of the second to put, to take Creighton from down two to up 23. So, and I think he had a similar stretch in the St. John's game where he went ballistic and it ended up being the, the difference in like a pivotal run that put the game on ice essentially. So he did it again last night. Cause you know, it seemed like he was on a heater, but I think once you break it all down, you're like, wow, that really was kind of a one man show there for a little bit. Like he was going off. The, the problem is, and uh, he is also the guy that almost single handedly let Georgetown back into the game <laughs> down the stretch. Uh, but cause he, he really he cooled off after that hot start. He had almost all his points right away early in the second half. But when he cooled off, he got a couple good looks, didn't go down. Then Ryan Hawkins started getting loose and he started knocking down shots. Mm -hmm. And I believe actually it was him that scored that hit the bucket to give to, to hit 25,000 points scored at at CHI arena for Creighton. Um, So that was a little bit of trivia there. Uh, Good for Ryan Hawkins, but uh, we'll, we'll get to, Alex letting them back in momentarily, but uh, so that you're feeling good here, things are going. And then you have the little, basically we talk about the Alex O'Connell heater and one man run. Yeah. The Keith Sean Fizel stretch there where yep. he was just finishing yep. everything. And so that was all the result of Creighton's aggressiveness and beating the press. So yep. first bucket, uh, they, they broke the press and looked to score off it. Uh, Hawk got the ball, drove in, dumped it off to Keyshawn for the and one. He missed a free throw, but it was a really good finish. Like he finished through hands, which finishing has like contested finishing hasn't been a strength for him this season. Uh, he, he got the bucket to go. Next time, uh, they broke the press again. This time it's Trey driving, dumping off to Keyshawn for the dunk. Basically, same deal. 
uh, once you br break a press, you're probably going to have numbers. And Crane did a good job of taking advantage. You're probably going to have numbers, and you're probably going to have mismatches all over the place. That's the other yes. part of it, too. Yeah. And then, so the, the next one was in the half court. It wasn't off the press break, but just moving the ball. And uh, Keyshawn ended up with a mismatch. He had Amina Muhammad on him yep. and swung it to, to O'Connell on the wing. And Keyshawn just ducked in. O'Connell, good post entry, right up and finish. Uh, and act that was the that was the dunk. Uh, and the, well, the throw down the that was, so I was sitting basically right across from the, the Creighton bench at the basket level. So that was right yeah. in front of me and I saw him catch it and turn to go up. And I was like, Oh, little, little baby hook here. Yeah. He likes and then he, hook, yeah. he got up there and there was like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> I could do this. <laughs> and he just like turned it over and threw it in on him. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, the it was, I, I said, it was like the Dwight Howard Superman dunk from the slam dunk contest. Except off of two feet and going straight up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was cr credit to Keyshawn. I think that's the best play he's made yet uh, as a Blue Jay. And then, of course, he got Might the, the craziest goal, but... play he's made his whole career. That was yeah, insane. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a hell yeah. of a play. And, and like, Muhammad's like, he's undersized, but he's long. He's athletic. Mm -hmm. Like, he took the ball from really strong a couple yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he just went up and, like, yeah, no, what? You're not stopping me and, and threw it down. And, and then the next time was another press break. And this time it's R2 driving an alley-oop to him. So that last bucket put him up 75-54 with yep. nine minutes and 40 seconds to play. And that was basically all detail during that stretch. But most of it was Creighton being aggressive, breaking the press, and making Georgetown pay for it. So as I said that was about nine minutes and 40 seconds left when that happened. Um, and, and then shortly after that is when the 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 uh, the gum incident happened, <laughs> and then they broke the press again. Eight uh, eight oh seven left. Broke the press. Uh, Nemhard alley to Kalkbrenner, put him up seventy seven sixty one with eight oh seven to play. That was their last. Now, honestly, Georgetown had started to kind of chip away at that because I remember when Nemhard hit Kalkbrenner, yeah. that was like a big play. I won't say it was a big moment, but it did stop Georgetown's momentum for a little I mean, bit. They got from 21 down to 14, like yeah. the third of, of the lead etched away. So that was a big play. The problem is that was their last bucket of the game with more than eight minutes left to play. Yeah. And I, this is, and it's something like that Mac teams have a tendency to do. And I just don't understand. I feel like he, and they ended up getting the wins like, oh, so maybe it justified or whatever, but this is a team that like metrics wise, you wanted to keep that 20 point lead. You didn't want to let this get down to, uh, single digit game um, and end up winning by 11 hit some free throws down the stretch but that thing got dangerous in a hurry and a lot of it because was because I thought they pulled they took the foot off the gas way too soon and they stopped making Georgetown pay for pressing them they got over half court and then they pulled the ball out instead of playing the numbers advantage and going to try to get an easy one they were focused more on possessing the ball and running clock mm -hmm. than they were scoring and mm -hmm. they stopped getting good looks. And this is something is uh, one of one of the like, obviously the timeout thing is something that uh, a lot of Creighton fans have issues with Mac. For I have no issues with that. Yeah, this is do. one though that I do uh, uh, don't agree with. Uh, it seems like a strategy that they. It just seems like they pull uh, again, take their foot off the gas too soon. Start trying to play possession when that's not what they do. That's not how they play. That's not what got them the lead in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's not who they are as a program. And the pace, not only that, like the pace, like there was one possession where they took 10 seconds to get everybody in position to run a set. 
um, after breaking the press and pulling it out and like pouring everybody, they're walking to their spots. There's just no tempo, no pace whatsoever. And they end up not getting a good look out of it. Like that's just not who Creighton is. Like, I don't think you can run the clock down to 10 and get a good possession every single time. And that's really in. Uh, so they, so after they, that kind of the, the Kalkbrenner dunk, I felt like they started taking their foot off the gas. They two, like two possessions in a row, they had two, had to chuck it up late in the clock under five seconds left. They had the, mm. the, the Hawkins air ball and then the Trey Alexander uh, chuck at, at the end of the clock with one on the clock, mm-hmm. um, two bad possessions. And then Georgetown went small at that point. They took out the center and it's like, we're going to have Caden Rice guarding Kalkbrenner. And I don't even know what Rice is listed at height and weight wise, but. Feels like um, he, he looks about six seven six eight. Yeah, that's he's a, he's a yeah he's a kind of a three four wing more so. Right. Um, so it's it's not like he's a, a guard in there, but he's yeah. also at a significant disadvantage size wise. For sure. But that's what they decide to do. They decide to go small there to finish the game basically, and they just and this is when things kind of fell apart for for O'Connell. Um, I, Ryan Nemhart had a bad pass. Uh, tried to feed the post and threw it to the wrong spot to Kalk Brenner. Uh, so they couldn't get in the ball inside turnover. Uh, they had a good possession that ended in Alex missing a, a bad three or missing a good three. Then Alex had a bad skip pass turnover on, on the next possession. Uh, yeah, I think it was and, tipped and then tipped off of yes, double tip. Yeah. yeah it's just tip. a pass that you can't make. Yeah. He tried to pass from below the left wing to the right wing all the way across the middle of the like It just, it's not going to get through. Um, then, he had the terrible pass uh, in the press break that like threw it way over Hawkins head, like to nobody. Um, and they finally got the ball inside to Kalkbrenner in the post, but Mohammed doubled over and forced a tie up. I thought, I think, I think Roddy had the one that went over Hawkins head actually. Uh, I, I think it was, he was in the, he was in the lane and he kicked it to the corner. No, that was, that was a different one. I'm talking oh, about. Okay. Break. Uh, Roddy did have one like that, but this was against like he was inbounding against the press, and he. Just oh yeah, yes, I got you. Okay, yes, I remember that one. Yeah. So, uh, so t- turned over, and then and then Trey fouled out on the and one on the next play with three eighteen left to go. So at that point, it's a nineteen to four run to make it a six point game. And in, whole, in less than four minutes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. a whole lot of that was Alex. <laughs> so that's what I was talking about earlier, where he gave them the lead and then tried to give it right back. And I, I feel like this is your fault because as soon as you praised him for being such a great passer, he <laughs> just com- turned into a turnover machine. And some of the, one of the coaches was giving me shit for that too. I think a week or two ago, it was like, ever since you tried to uh, gas up Alex's uh, Grant Gibbsian in his ability to pass from the wing. Um <laughs> He had six turnovers in this. Yeah, game. he's gone upside down and says turnover ratio since then. So, yeah, maybe, <laughs> my, maybe my fault. I, yeah, I, I, but all, but in in fairness, you can't just like take one of my bits of like analysis and age it like it's wine or something. Like it's a snapshot. You know what I mean? Matt, I can point, do whatever I want. You invited me on this pod. <laughs> I'm going to say what I want to say. Fair enough. I'm just saying. I took a snapshot of Alex's passing, and at the time, I felt like I had a leg to stand on. Well, now I feel fair, like it's more of a peg leg, but it's still, you know, what I mean? like it's still a leg. 
to be fair, he was the one that made the post entry that allowed for the keys. Uh, I'm the, saying, the road I, right? Like that, that was, was a good one. That was on the money. It's, yeah, it's almost every other pass he made that was problematic. Maybe it's not the passing; it's the decision making. Maybe that's like the maybe the passing is like the passing talent is there. Maybe it's like Aaron Rodgers; like he has arm talent, but not the greatest between the ears situation going on. Are you with me on that one at all? Well, or? the the press break pass. Well, no, the, the, the press bank uh, pass that I talked about, that was absolutely the pass. Like, Hawkins was kind of there. He just threw it five feet over his head. Fair so enough. that's not necessarily a decision that's a – you threw it to the wrong spot. Okay. The skip pass, that one's probably a decision. Like, that's not a one you want to make. Stepping on the sideline, that's just awareness. He seems like to do that at least once a game, and he did that again uh, against Georgetown. Um, but, yeah, so all kinds of turnovers in that one for, for, for Alex. Um, I mean, I but, think he's, I think he's still a net positive. Yeah, twenty oh, yeah. points, five assists, only six turnovers. So like, it's 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 close to one to one, and he was plus fourteen. And his, yes, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I thought his defense was solid on Rice, and then Muhammad lived at the line. But you know, I don't know how much of that was him beating Alex to the glass versus just him, you know, cleaning well, up. Being in the right and, spot at times, yeah. like getting a little lucky kind of thing. So and and Hawkins was guarding for long stretches of the game. True. And some of it was transition. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like he had uh, he had a few really nice drives. But it wasn't just like he was torching whoever was guarding him one on one. Yeah, um, but just in terms of him like outperforming yeah. Georgetown's wings, I think he yeah. did great. I think he did. You know, he gave Creighton with more than what they needed. Uh, yeah, he they they needed him in a bad way in the first half with Hawk getting good looks and not hitting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be Alex in that case. And it, it certainly was. And then Hawk did kind of step up and take over when, once Alex cooled off. But yeah, that allowed it to get it down to six points with uh, uh, about three minutes to play. Yeah. Credit to, to Roddy for stepping to the line. I don't know why Georgetown fouled at that point. They fouled him in the backcourt. I, I, kn- I know. Um, yeah. Just reached in. Uh, it was like, okay. I mean, it's been working. You've been forcing bad possessions every single time. But sure, go ahead and foul him. He hit both that time, uh, put him back up eight, and then they got another stop, I believe. And then uh, and Dante, Roddy Dante had Harris to... blew by Kalkmaner for a layup. Oh, that's um, switch. Uh, yeah. um, and then and then I think uh, um, this was the sequence you were talking about earlier with uh, with Rice, where yeah. they actually so Roddy. Uh, got inside and I thought made a pretty good move. I thought he pro- he might have gotten foul, but anyway, contested miss in the, in the middle. Ryan Cockburn gets the rebound, kicks it back out. Alex gets a wide open, great look from three, misses. Georgetown gets out in transition. Rice is wide open and wide open because he was thirty feet away from the rim. Uh, no, it, it wasn't quite that bad. He was Jacob. He was, he was right in front of me. He was right in front of me, like he was adjacent with me where I was sitting. And I, they don't put us on the three-point line. Like, <laughs> so he, he he caught it and rose up, and I'm like, what in the – and he missed everything. And I'm like, I think there was someone sitting next to me that said he was feeling it. And I go, he was 0 for 4 before he shot it. Now he's 0 for 5. What was he feeling? So <laughs> he was 0 for 4 before he shot it, and he didn't even hit rim on that one. So what's he feeling exactly? I mean, it's just – that's why I kind of like – as I'm watching it, I felt like – Creighton wasn't closing the game out the way they probably wanted to, but I also never felt like Georgetown was making them sweat just because I, they didn't play smart enough to, you know, for me to 
think that they're going to get this thing tied or they're going to take the lead. Like Creighton's going to Creighton's going to make the play that matters to to push it out again. Like okay, not, so you know yeah, I mean? he so, was just inside the FNBO, uh, the the zero or the O on the FNBO. Yeah. Logo. Well, that's too um, far for if you're was, over four. Yeah, it was oh definitely, and <laughs> but he was also wide open, and Alex was uh, kind of coming over to him late. So maybe if you had pump fake, you would have been able to either swing to the corner or hit the guy cutting if he was going, but mm. no. It, it, Either way, we got to talk about the two biggest defensive plays of the game for Creighton. One, Ryan Kalkman are switching on to Dante Harris and guarding that man on the perimeter, on the drive, inside, back outside for about, I don't know, a solid 10, 12 seconds on, on him isolated, right? So – that's a great job by Kalkbender, again, showing off like that he's more than just a shot blocker, that he can actually move his feet. Um, he's not a mismatch. He's not a guy you can isolate and attack every yeah. single time. Like He's got good defensive instincts. And the second one was Ryan Hawkins just, just being all over the glass like he always is and then tipping that ball off of – I believe it was off of Harris's back. It was, yeah. yeah. And out of bounds for, Cre- for Creighton to retain possession like that. Those are just two humongous defensive plays by two really good defenders, really smart defenders. Well, uh, that, and that, that in a game where had Georgetown been within a possession or two at that point, you'd be talking about those more than we are. But I feel like they deserve some credit because those were the two plays, in my opinion, free throws aside that iced the game because I think it well, just killed Georgetown's kind of mojo. Like when Dante Harris realized – that he did all that stuff to Kalkbender and still couldn't get a clean look against him. And then when Hawkins, like when Harris probably thought the ball was about to go off Creighton and then Hawkins real quick, just snaps it off his back and gets the ball to the Jays. Like those are just two demoralizing plays from Georgetown side of things. And they happen to their best what? creator. So like, I think that, yeah. though that iced the game, those two defensive plays were, were huge. Well, and, and, and immediately before it didn't end up putting points on board, but immediately before that uh, it was, Kalkbrenner and Hawkins uh, or Roddy uh, actually um, hitting the floor off of Roddy's missed free throw oh, yeah. to force a tie up. And Kalkbrenner jumped, jumped over that ball and he still had to like enough time to get to land, reach down and fight for it again. That was crazy. Well, Cause like the Georgetown dude jumped and it took a weird bounce off the, the, the rim in the backboard and flew back over his head. Yeah. And then like they both dived on it, but they, I mean, it ended up being a shot clock violation at the end of it, but that's, what 20 more seconds that they were able to eat up uh, yep. and gave himself another chance. Yep. Uh, so that, that was a big play. And then that led directly into Kalkbrenner stepping up and, and locking up Harris. And then um, after that, uh, and Rice missed a three on Kalkbrenner again. So dude, that just, he's, he's not going to want to remember this game anytime soon. Uh, and then uh, Ryan Nemhard hit two free throws and then Hawk forced the, so that that whole sequence, the the Rice missed three, and then the 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 Harris like because if Rice hits that three or gets a better look for his team in that situation off of Creighton missing, it's a six point game. You come down and you either knock down a three or you get a dunk or you know, something out of that. Now Creighton's really feeling the pressure. Yeah, it's a, two, it's a it's a one possession game or it's a three or four point game with two minutes to play, and now all the the momentum's on Georgetown's side. So mm-hmm. the fact that he missed that and then Creighton got those back-to-back stops, that really, that whole sequence was the deciding factor of the game. It's again, it's unfortunate that uh, Creighton needed a sequence like that in a game that they were up 20 plus, 
and everybody was feeling great and things were rolling. But uh, again, Crane kind of did it to itself. Yeah. I think that's a pretty sufficient recap of the game. Big picture, Creighton gets through this stretch 3-0. and uh, Got the two-point win over a Butler team that I know we kind of disagree on their trajectory, but I think they're a much better team with Bo Hodges in the lineup. I think he's playing at a really high level. And if, you know, on Bart- Bartovic's customization um, chart, like they're – they're a top 100 offense. They're a top 50 defense with him in the starting lineup. These last six, seven, or eight games, they just beat Marquette. Like, I don't think that's – I know people are probably like, well, Butler beat them by 17 and Creighton only won by two, but I just think that's a tough I – don't, I don't really care how that, that shakes out for Creighton. Getting that win is big anyway, it looks. Um, because these games coming up are the ones that matter. The, th- the three that they just had are the ones they could not lose. So, like, get the job done any way you can. Win by one three times is all that matters. I do not care um, if you're Creighton because if you want to play, if you want February, the end of February and the beginning of March to matter for your resume, it's just like you cannot drop any of those three. It doesn't matter what you do. So now it's like, you know, starting with DePaul, it's, these are huge games for Gilman. Like every single one of them is an opportunity for them to, to just add something to what they've already done this year and, and make their case for the selection committee. So I think that's, I think it's important that they got to this spot. I really don't care how it looks. I know people are kind of trying to uh, parse through, uh, you know, what they do offensively that they can take forward, what, what they do defensively, uh, you know, is it concerning that they only won by two against Butler and had to like maybe sweat out the end of the, the Georgetown rematch in, in Omaha? Like, I don't just, win and move, like move on to the next thing. Like this team's, you know, too young, too banged up, too inexperienced, just like get results and build, you know what I mean? Just keep building. Cause you're going to, you're the, everything in front of you now is an opportunity to impress the selection committee. You, you've put, they've put themselves in this spot. Now they're 16 and eight, they're eight and five in the big East third place. They're alone in third place. Cause they have the tiebreaker over UConn as we currently stand um, via that road win. So right now they're 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 above projection at this point, right? Like there's nothing, you know. I know you can say, well, you know, they lost to Arizona State team that isn't very good, um, but Arizona State's already also beaten some teams that are better than them too. Like they beat Oregon on the road, they beat UCLA. Like that's you know, it's just like you can chalk that up to just college basketball, right? So I think and, right and now I- this Creighton team at where it stands, they're above projection. I know I'm rambling here. They're above projection. Um, coming into the season, they've dealt with some injuries, they've dealt with some adversity, they're still playing through them. And now February and March matter. And that's what that's that's important, I think, for this young group because there's a lot of guys on this team that, regardless of how it shakes out, whether they end up in the NIT or the NCAA tournament, it's going to be valuable for them to play in games that matter down the stretch. And that's where they're at right now. I think it's yeah. good for their future for sure. And I think. You and I, and I think any any of us that tried to project this team really struggled to to find where reasonable expectations should be set for this team. Mm-hmm. Just with all the unknowns and the youth and inexperience and the fact that they have put themselves in this situation. They made like you said, they made it through the minefield. Yeah. Um all that's left are and they're not even really a good offensive team right now. No, like they're, not they're hanging their hat on the defensive side of the floor. That's yeah. another, that's another thing I probably couldn't have projected going in, right? Like yeah. Uh, and it is interesting, though, like, because people 
Creighton fans come to know have come to know Mac as the let it fly coach, but he's gone through like three or four different like coaching style uh, adjustments throughout his career. Like yeah. this was kind of the style that he played back in Northern Iowa, right? Just gritty, tough, yeah. win with defense. Uh, probably played lower possession games back then. Didn't quite play at the same amount of pace, but is a guy that he, he knows how to coach a little bit about basketball based on what he has so mm-hmm. uh it, it i think it's surprising if you're just a creighton fan but if you study like max history he's like oh he's got some experience winning this way and i, I know people like in paul lust deserved a lot of the credit for the, the defense improvement they made last year and a lot of the ideas were his and he was a guy that was kind of in charge in there but they still played under max uh principles on, on that end of the floor it was mm-hmm. still max defense just with with uh with lust input so um it, I mean, I, I don't know that any of us, I guess coming into the year, if you, knowing what we know now, would you have, knowing that these guys would struggle as much as they have, but looking at them, did you feel like they had more potential? Which side of the court do you feel like they had more potential and just based on the roster and the pieces they had coming back? Yeah, definitely um, offense, right? Yeah. But is it to the degree that, we really thought because they've got they've got obviously Kulk Brenner coming back. Yeah. You've got a seven foot shot blocker. You've got length on the wings. You've got a, a heady guy like like Hawkins. Um, you've got some athleticism in a guy like O'Connell on the wings. So you've got pieces to be a good de- defense. And none of these guys were proven offensively at this level either. So I think it's just I guess looking at the roster now, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. From, I don't think the minute, from the minute yeah. conference play started. Okay. So on Bartorvik's, I, you know, just a filter, just filter for the start of conference play. They are 14th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. 14th. That's pretty good. Yeah. They're 195th in offensive efficiency. Adjusted <laughs> offensive. That is not so, good. So if you told me, I'm just, so like the, just point blank. If you told me that Creighton's first 13 big East games, they'd have a, they'd be hovering around 200th in offensive efficiency, adjusted offensive efficiency. Would they be eight and five? Not a prayer. I don't even know if they'd be five and eight. So what they've done on the defensive side of the floor is remarkable because I don't even know if you, if anyone, even the most wide-eyed, like Kool-Aid glossy, like optimist could have projected them to be a top 15 defense in the country through their first 13 conference games. Yeah. And that's, and, where they're at. that's where they're at right now. Yeah. And I don't think we could have anticipated the degree. I don't think we could have anticipated them being last in the, the conference and three point shooting. I think we worried about their ability and kind of oh, how sure. consistent they would be from three. Even the coaches told you in the preseason yeah. that they weren't quite sure about the shooting prowess of this, this group. But, but they weren't seeing 31% and 14th in the conference. I don't right. think. And right. I don't think any of us did. So, uh, but also maybe we probably should have been a little bit higher on the defensive potential, just looking at the personnel and, but, I, I but, think- but, but however, here's another caveat. They're 14th in the country in defensive efficiency in big East play. No Sharif Mitchell for any of those games. Now, tell, is- now tell me how much how confident you're feeling about that being coming to fruition. That, that, that is very fair. You um, know what I'm saying? I, I think are we making our case for Ryan Kalkbrenner defensive player of the year <laughs> in the conference? Is that what we're doing know. right now? It, it, I, well, you, uh, Alex O'Connell basically said, like, I think John asked him about the defense 
uh, in the post game uh, last night, and his first answer was Ryan Kalkbrenner. Like that is our defense. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went through and like explained some things, but then went back and also Ryan Kalkbrenner. So he kind of yeah. started it and ended it with Ryan Kalkbrenner as the backbone of their defense. <laughs> I mean, I do think he is the best. I think he's the best defensive player in the league. I just don't know if I don't know. Like I feel like the to the victor go the spoils in a lot of conference awards. Oh, except for last year, which was just <laughs> I don't even know how to explain what happened last year. Um, and the year before that, yeah, and it just feels like Justin Manaya, like, um, is probably the guy who's gonna do it. Like I I, I don't know. Like I, I just but there's so much time left too. You know, like there's just too much. Like Providence's schedule is super hard. Like I don't know what the, if you told me that they're gonna lose every game on the slate, I wouldn't be surprised because every game they're playing from here on out is a team that's capable of beating them. And then Creighton also has the same thing. Like Creighton's eight and five right now in third place, but they're also capable of going. I don't even think Ken Palm has them projected to win any of the next final six games. So I, I, I just think the league, the league has so much shuffling left to do that. Like the snapshot right now is tough to gauge it on. Like what's Who's going to, you know, win what? Who's going to finish where? I just think we're way, way, way too – even though we're getting late in the season, I think we're way too early in in terms of confidently projecting that because there's just so much time left to go. Just, you know what I mean? But it's hard to argue that he's not one of the best, right? Like the shot blocking, the rim protection, the ability to guard multiple positions, the ability to guard on the perimeter. You know, it's not just blocking shots, but it's altering shots. It's it's defensive positioning with his body, with his footwork, uh, with his intelligence, not leaving his feet a whole lot and fouling a bunch. Like, you know, it's intelligence, it's skill. Um, it's all there. Like, the total package is there. Like, he's, you know, there aren't five better defenders in this league than him for sure. There might not even be three. I just don't know if he's the best. We'll see. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I, I think this is where – they ultimately wanted to be it's probably a little bit ahead of where they had hoped for realistically yeah. but they do they, they made it through the minefield now they've got what six chances left here before heading to the conference play all q1 and q2 opportunities i believe the rest of the way so you can start tacking on some some big wins to your schedule here mm-hmm. um they're, and they're gonna have to win some of these games like they, they haven't done enough oh, yeah. to make the tournament right now they've done enough to avoid taking themselves out of it where they're like oh now you need to sweep the the, the table to to get in like mm-hmm. they can be they can finish realistically if they win three or four of these last six games i said last night good. i said last night in a private conversation i think two out of three at home and one out of three on the road puts yeah. them in a really good spot yeah. i don't even and so i when, honestly and i don't even care what it is like yeah because the because the way the schedule lines up it's all going to be of quality yeah. at this point yeah, it's, but I, I think, think yeah, I think Kempom has like all between like thirty-one and fifty percent like chance for Creighton to win all these. So like they're all in the general somewhat area. Like mm-hmm. they're all they're like thirty-one percent. I forgot. My I think that was a Providence game maybe, but all the others are in the like forties percent wise, basically yeah. giving uh, Creighton a shot. So like they'd all technically be upsets, but none of them are like yeah, you got no shot to win here. Right. Um, so you get any one of the like if you if you beat DePaul and St. John's and lose the other four, then you're right. like, eh, yeah, you tough. gotta go do some work in the big east to feel good because not only exactly. that only gives you um what is it eighteen wins going into the big east conference, but 
you also missed out on some of your chances to add. Like, I don't think either one of those are doing anything for your resume. Yeah. And you're also getting further and further away from your last quality win too. So exactly. And I know people say they don't do, you know, they, they judge November like they judge February, but I'm just, I just feel like if you're on the bubble and your most recent win of note is, you know, like in January, I don't think that helps you. So. And obviously um, BYU is slipping as a quality. Yeah, win. exactly. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. Villanova, you feel great. Marquette. Don't know where that's going to end up. That's like, what I'm saying. <laughs> There's so much variance right now. I don't know what to do with it. Like yeah. who knows where they're going to end up. So like they, they missed out both times against Xavier. So like they do need to get some call. So you got UConn, you got Villanova, you got BYU, you got Marquette. Like those are all games that you feel pretty good about. Yeah. But beyond that, like how, how many more of their wins look great on, on a resume. Right. Um, um, so yeah. Um, let's, let's, we got two questions, one on men's basketball. So we'll ask that now. And then our next one's on women's basketball. So we'll jump into that and then ask that question. Um, so the, the question on men's basketball is if you could add, or if you could have one guy from last year's team who isn't here now, graduated, transferred, went pro, et cetera, come back and play, who would it be and why? The easy answer is Marcus Zagorowski because he's the best player on the team. Yeah, it also like gives it gives them a lot of what uh, they're struggling with right now in terms of shot creation, decision making, yeah. three point shooting. He basically solves all their problems. Um, Indeed, and as good as Ryan Nemard has been, like they put, they've had to put so much pressure on him, and we saw how much he struggled for like a month and a half straight there. And just because they really didn't have many other options with Sharif hurt uh, with Roddy still trying to figure things out. Uh, they had to turn to Trey a little bit there uh, to, to try to give themselves another option. Um, they, they, they've been lacking a lot of ball handling in, in their, in their lineups. Um, so he's the easy answer, especially when you consider like, I think Damian Jefferson would probably be the other guy that I'd consider right off the top. If you're not taking the best player on the team, which you should take the best player on the team. <laughs> uh, but I mean, DJ, they've already got like Kaluma and Hawkins that kind of like, obviously DJ can play the three uh, and probably play the three a little bit better than either of uh, Kaluma or Hawkins, depending on what the lineups would be. But for this team, like you feel pretty good when those guys are healthy about like that four spot and some of the three. Um, so like, I, I think he he's worth considering, but Marcus is the easy answer. It's just, it's just that simple. It is the really easy answer. I, I looked at this question and I like tried to convince myself that it was that it was Mitch because of the, the what he would do to the spacing on the floor. Um, but I keep coming right. back. To, I keep I come back to Marcus because of the ripple effect that it does to the rotation. Right. Like yes. you make Ryan Nemhard the the backup point guard, which alleviates so much pressure on off his shoulders. Like. He can play so much more free. And, and also it's like, it's, it's a play them together shot too. Well. Kaluma's hurt and yeah. Sharif is hurt. So y- you basically have, you'd have Marcus Zagorowski, PG one, Ryan Nemhard backing him up. Then you'd allow Trey to move to a more natural wing position and he could back up AO or he could move, you can move AO to the three with Kaluma out and play Trey at the two. And then I just think the ripple effect in the rotation, yeah. like, it adds so much to that. And then, like you said, from a shot creation standpoint, from a, you know, just like being able to stop a run and get a bucket to be able to score at all three levels, to play with pace, to like veteran presence, all that stuff. Like it's, 
he's like that competitive edge. Like there's just, it's Marcus Zagorowski. And like, we'd have to be, we'd have to like really try to, yeah, to force go the other answer to go yeah. somebody else. Like, because yeah, uh, I'd love to have Mitch. He'd actually, he'd help for sure on this team, but yes. he also, he felt, he basically kind of, I mean, ball security too, a little bit, but he fills one of those holes. Yes. Uh, the right. perimeter shooting. Marcus gives you that plus the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the 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 get a bucket guy that they don't have plus uh helps again with the ball handling like he just fills so many more of the holes on the roster in one person than mm. a dj or a mitch would or and even like having like a, a christian bishop as another option in the front court like instead of a Keyshawn Fizel or whatever but that kind of that would have gotten awkward too with the leap that that Kalkbrenner has made yes um because Kalkbrenner right now is a better player than than bishop was last year um, so obviously you'd love to have two starting caliber fives. Um, but ultimately I think the, just the easy answer is Marcus. And it's, I mean, no matter yeah. how you try to you answer it any other way, you can't overthink this thing. It's like, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, he's a two-time all American. He should have been big East player of the year, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, now, I think it would be more interesting if we went back two years and you throw in Tyshawn into the mix with Marcus and with what Ju- I think junior Mitch was probably a little bit more uh, effective even than, than senior Mitch. Um, I, D- DJ was a, a much better player as a senior than he was as a junior, but um, that the, the Tyshawn versus Marcus, I think gets interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Let's switch, let's switch gears to the women's side. Uh, try, they, like I said, they had kind of a get-right weekend. Um, no disrespect to Xavier and Butler, but the numbers don't lie, folks. Uh, I, mean, I think Butler's one in twenty-one now on the season, so an zero and thirteen in Big East play. So there, there, uh, there's two. Like if you're into like what's the sicko committee? What's that? You know what I mean? If you're into if you're into that stuff, Georgetown on the men's side and Butler on the women's side are flirting with a, a winless conference season. So, and, and if you look at, I don't know if her hoop stats is kind of like the Ken Palm of the women's side of things from an analytical standpoint, uh, Butler, Butler came into Sunday's game against Creighton with the ranked 353rd out of 357 in defensive rating. So if you're wondering why Creighton hit 22 threes, <laughs> Uh, broke a Big East and a program record. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's the most threes by any D1 team this year against a D1 team. Um, yeah, it's because Butler's that – Creighton's that good, but Butler's also that bad defensively. So it's like a match made in heaven or hell, depending on your perspective. Um, but yeah, Creighton uh, – Creighton didn't look that great on Friday, honestly. They – they, Xavier played a lot of that three-two matchup zone. They played in the first matchup in Cincinnati, that threw things out of whack for the first two and a half quarters or so. And they had, I guess, they hadn't done that a whole lot in their recent games. So Creighton wasn't preparing for a heavy dose of it on Friday. And I guess from Xavier's perspective, was was they went in thinking this was basically our only chance to be competitive with them in the first matchup. So we might as well throw it at them to start the game and see if it's effective at all. Or if we have to scrap it, we'll just scrap it. And it was effective. They Creighton turned the ball over, I think 12 times in the first half. Pretty. I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty high clip. 
Um, that's, I mean, they might average 12 a game and for them to get 12 and a half is a lot, especially against the zone too. It wasn't like, you know, it was just a long, they were just making, you know, poor decisions with the ball and they weren't crisp. So it took them a while to put that game on ice. And, you know, I think they came out Sunday with a little bit of more, probably more fire than you'd expect them to come out with against a team that's one in 20. <laughs> but yeah, they just jumped him from the from the get go. I mean, Lauren Jensen hit three threes in a row. Emma Ronsick hit two in a row. Morgan Molly hit two in a row. I mean, it was just a barrage. So, yeah, I think they finished. I think they finished with thirty assists for the second time. They've had thirty assists both times they played Butler. I think that. I think I think they had sixty seven buckets and they've had sixty assists on those sixty seven buckets against Butler. So, the last three times they've played Butler, they've they've beat them by forty seven. 51 and 47 the last three meetings that's 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 unusual i don't i don't know if i if i'm the coach like if that happens to me like twice around that third game i'm like we're probably gonna lose this way but just straight up no help go face guard one through five make them beat us some other way do not let (laughs) like if they have 30 assists again then we're just gonna be running laps for the next three days of practice make a (laughs) Do not let them do what they want to do. At least make them beat you a different way than the, the way that they would prefer to do it. Like, yeah, Creighton, Creighton like didn't roll one over. Yeah, Creighton didn't have to create the Creighton had 22 threes. They didn't dribble on one of them. It was all just catch and shoot. <laughs> so I'll just so I'll just catch and let it go. There, make them go actually shoot a layup. Yeah. Why are you giving up these threes? They're worth more. I don't know, man. I don't I don't know. But uh, you know, it's funny because uh, uh I think Creighton shot 49 threes that day, like on Sunday, which is just absurd. But I was telling, I, I was telling somebody, I was like, I'm pretty sure I haven't gone back and watched it because I just don't see a need to, but uh, I'm pretty sure 45 of the 49, or at least in that, in that neighborhood were completely unguarded, like great looks, like phenomenal looks. Like, like I was almost surprised that Creighton missed as often as they did. Like I thought they, I thought that it, they could have easily hit 30 plus threes as good as the looks as they were getting. So it's it's I don't know. It's not going to do anything for Creighton's resume. Like I'm just there. It was two games that they couldn't lose just like the men's side. It was just, you know, you got to make sure you perform up to your standards. Um, don't get anybody hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, build your confidence, get some mojo going for the stretch run. Cause these next three are going to be fairly difficult. Uh, they're, they're at St. John's they're at Seton hall who, you know, St. John's has been a much better team with when they're healthy. Obviously they have a lot of talent. They just were a mess from a standpoint of injuries to COVID early in the season. And they got really upside down with their win loss record. So, I, I I'm I'm really curious to see how the committee is going to evaluate. Like, not that St. John's needs to be considered for an at-large bid; they're way out of that conversation. But just in terms of how they evaluate team performances against St. John's, because they're I mean, I honestly don't think their metrics are that out of whack for the record they have. Let me just double check this real quick, if you'll allow me to search while we're recording but yeah i, I yeah, don't St. really have John's a lot is, to ask St. John's is 10 and 15 overall and they're 110 in the net 
So that kind of tells you that, I don't know, they're, the, the metrics are kind of liking their performances a little bit, even though they're not, you know, they're not, they just aren't, they aren't, from a win-loss standpoint, they're not a good team. Like, you know, they have a close loss to UCLA, who's on the bubble. Um, they have a close loss to Villanova on the road. They, they, were, they hung tight with Creighton on the road. They played UConn tough at home. They played DePaul tough, I think, in both games, honestly. Um, played Marquette tough. I like they're you know, they're just like they're really talented and they're a tough team, like tough team to beat. So I think, you know, I, I wonder how the committee's gonna evaluate them, considering that Creighton's played them at full strength the first time in Omaha and then likely will again here in Queens um on Friday. So that's that first matchup. The second one is against Seton Hall, a Seton Hall team that you know, got himself a little bit of a trouble. Got got in a little bit of a trouble because they didn't get any quality non-con wins outside of Toledo and Princeton. Um, like they lost to UCF at home. They lost to USC on the road or on a neutral floor. They lost to Fordham at home. You know, those were those were those are wins that Seton Hall needed to get, or at least two of them, in order to put themselves on the bubble at this point. And then they went on a pause, and they came out of that, and they lost four of their first six and weren't really competitive in four of those losses either. So, but they've won five straight since then. That's what I mean. Since February rolled around, um, they've won five in a row. Now the first four were against Georgetown, Xavier Butler, Georgetown, which are the four worst teams in the league. But this last one was against Villanova, who is the hottest team in the league. So, and the team that just beat UConn. So, that's that that kind of lets you know that Seton Hall is kind of figuring something out here, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and they're on a roll right now. So Creighton's running into a St. John's team that's playing as well as they have all season and a Seton Hall team that's playing as well as they have all season. Those are their two final road games. Then they're going to come home and play a DePaul team on senior day in what is shaping up to be a pretty important game for both teams in terms of their at-large resumes. So, yeah, we talked about the men's side and their final six games and the opportunity it presents. These next three for the women too are going to be huge. Like it's it's they have their they have their own they have the ability to control the controllables because they're playing three games and they and if they win two of them they're in really good shape and really won't have a whole lot of pressure on them going to Uncasville, the Mohegan Sun for the Big East tournament. Um but they're not going to be easy wins either. Like none of these three are going to be cakewalks. So it'll take their a game for sure. And that's what they're faced with coming up here this next weekend. So it's, it's go time for Creighton hoops. Like there's, it's nothing but nothing but big time resume boosting opportunities for Flan and Mac the rest of the way. So I, this is kind of like an exciting time because you're, you're, you're getting the sense of like March madness in the blood a little bit. And you're trying to see these games are going to matter a lot. So it's interesting. Like I, and I know Nebraska got a big win last night too. So, you know, I know Indiana was playing without Mackenzie Holmes and they looked a lot different without her certainly, but you know, that's, that's still a high quality win. And it likely probably does punch Nebraska's ticket, honestly, like unless they drop a couple games against subpar opponents, like that, I think that might get that, you know, that first D one in-state team in the tournament and Creighton women are right behind them, almost ready to punch a ticket. And then the Creighton men are obviously um, next in line there too. So fun time right now. I, I, I don't know. 
how much you've had to be able to pay attention to it all with the high school, um, high school hoops. And then the Nebraska men, I know I rambled a lot in that little analysis there, but like where, where, if you're taking a pulse right now of the local D one teams, where are you at? Yeah. I, I think you summed it up pretty well. I think, uh, at this point, Nebraska, the women, they, uh, they, they've taken care of business against the bottom half of the big 10. Yep. And now they've, they've notched two wins against the best teams. Um, all their losses are against the good teams in the big 10, I, I believe. So obviously they, they swept the non-conference. So th- they, they put together a pretty strong resume. I think their net's still fairly healthy. Um, so all, all they have to do is again, keep taking care of business. They put themselves on a path where unless they, they start losing games, they shouldn't, uh, they'll feel pretty comfortable. I think heading into selection Sunday, Creighton, both teams, they, they've got a little bit more to do. But again, Flans team, they're, they're having a strong season. They're playing well. Um, they, they, I think they, they, they've got some wins on the resume that'll help. And then they'll, they've got a couple of chances here to, to really push that resume over the top, like you mentioned down the stretch here. And then the men, they, they've earned an opportunity to, to play their way in. I think that's the best way to put it here. Uh, they don't have to do anything crazy to get in, uh, but they're going to have to play well. They're going to have to go win some games that they aren't favored to win. Uh, in order to get it done, but it's nothing crazy. Again, it's not like they got to go win uh, five games against top five teams or anything. Like you just got to go take care of business against teams that are kind of on a level. Jacob, you don't think J- you only province is a top five team, Jacob? Just <laughs> not getting into that. <laughs> we spent enough time uh, before the pod talking about Providence, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, but our, our last question to round up the podcast is about the women, uh, the Creighton women. So, um, gun to your head on February 15th. Is today the 15th? Yeah, it's after Valentine's Day. Duh. So, gun to your head today. What seed in the NCAA tournament will Flan's squad end up with? I have no clue. I, I don't, I have not looked at any women's basketball bracketology at this point. Well, there's only 16 possibilities, so pick a number. <laughs> uh, an eight, a nine. That's two numbers. I said pick a number. <laughs> what do you? Sure, let's go with an eight. They get some big wins down the stretch here. I, I thought, why don't you just know. tell me to answer first, and then you can be like, I agree, like that. And it really <laughs> would have been on the line there. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, there aren't. <laughs> first of all, there's not a whole lot of like women's bracketologists out yeah. there. It's just kind of like the curse of women's sports these days. Is there's just not a whole lot of it compared to the men. So ESPN bracketology, I don't love. I think it's actually worse than on the men's side. Um, and then there's another one that real time, real time RPI does a women's bracketology, but they still think UConn's in the AAC, so that's hard to give too much credibility to with that glaring uh, omission there. Um, I the thing that looks apparent right now is that DePaul is comfortably in for some reason, fairly comfortably in, and I just don't see how their resume is better than Creighton's. So, like, let's just let me just break it down real quick to try to answer this question as credibly as I can. Um, I, I said eight or nine because there's not really a difference, right? Like it's yeah, I guess you're in the same yeah. game. <laughs> my my point my point is the Paul's on the eight line right now, and Creighton's okay. kind of on the ten line. And I feel like if I'm if I'm gonna agree with you that the Paul's an eight, 
I feel like Creighton's a six. So here's what here's what Creighton's looking at. And the the one thing that I have, and I know I sh- you should never do this with a team sheet, is go off of like its its historical basis because you're not comparing yourself to you. You're comparing yourself to the current bubble or whatever it is. You know the current body of the tournament. Um, but right now the way Creighton sits is they have um, two top 50 road wins, which is, I'm not sure they've ever had that on any of their resumes ever. So they have a win at DePaul and a win at Arkansas. And their losses are in the, in quad one losses are three points at UConn or three points at Marquette, excuse me. Uh, two to UConn, and then a five-point loss at Nebraska. And then they've lost a game at the buzzer to South Dakota, a game at the buzzer to Drake, and then a 10-point loss at Villanova with Seagrass. That hurts. Um, that hurts? Th- that's probably – like that one doesn't – that doesn't help, right? Like, Well, it's a Q2 road loss. Okay. And, it's, and Villanova's, Villanova's uh, only three – only three spots away from being a Q1 road loss. So oh, okay. it's not, yeah, that one doesn't hurt. Um, they, don't, they don't have a bad loss. That's what I mean. There is no, their worst loss is to Drake, who is still a top 90 team in the net. Um, and they lost at the buzzer on the first day of the season. First game of the year. Yeah. yeah first game of the year at, in front of 2000 people. Um, so they won over South Dakota state. They have went over Arizona state. Who's now beaten Colorado, Oregon, and Arizona. Um. And they also have a win over a top 50 Northern Iowa team who, you know, is in contention to win the Missouri Valley Conference this year. So I I feel like this is one of their best teams resume-wise that they've had. Like, and they got at large bids in 2013, uh, 2017, and 2018. And we're in line to potentially get another one in 2020 before the pandemic shut everything down. So when I look at it like that, I know I shouldn't look at it like that, but I am going to anyway. Uh, man, looking back, that that Marquette loss really hurts. Like if you could have scored that back to back with that DePaul win, yeah. Um, in Milwaukee, they had that game won and just couldn't get the ball on the basket down the stretch of that one. If, right. Like, that that would have been a really nice. Yeah, the, piece the two to have the two the two that they that are really smarty right now that they want back are are South Dakota at home because they led yeah. pretty much the entire game. And they shot the ball really well, which is like a recipe for success. Uh, so the South Dakota loss at the buzzer or in the last two seconds at home because that was a defensive problem. And then the Marquette win or the Marquette loss on the road because they couldn't score. So two different ways they lost those games. But they if you have one of those right now, you're probably locked in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I think they're I, – I, I don't think they're a six, but – I think their I think their resume is better than DePaul's. So I'm gonna say DePaul is more of a nine ten and Creighton's more of a seven and eight. So if I have to pick a number right now, I think Creighton's resume and their metrics and the amount of quality wins they have that I feel like are gonna continue to age well. Uh today, gun to head, I think Creighton is gonna get a seven seed flans team. Yeah. So Jacob, you said eight, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that being that eight nine game. 
So we're similar. We're on the we're on a we're on a similar page. J- Jacob has them playing a national championship contender in the second round game, but <laughs> I have them with a little different road. But do you have them play in South Carolina then? Like what what type of eight? Do you, <laughs> what, what type of eight are you giving them here? Uh, yeah, I mean. I, I don't know. I haven't seen are they the, are they the best nine and the worst eight, or are they one of the best eights? Like how close are they to the seven line? South Carolina is going to South Carolina is going to be the number one overall seed. Like so, just get that clear. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Let's let's see. Ask me again in four games. Ask you in four games. <laughs> Deal. All right, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in to our. Uh, recap of the Creighton Hoops weekend that is and allowing us to get you primed and ready for the stretch run here as a uh, bunch of meaningful games as they say as Mac likes to say meaningful playing meaningful games in February both teams are doing it so appreciate you guys following along appreciate you following all the coverage make sure you check out Jacob's work at Hell Varsity too excuse me a little hiccup there um, covering the Huskers obviously uh Right now, he's covering a basketball team that's not very good. So I'm sure the Creighton listeners who are tuned in for this would you know, <laughs> take some, some some joy in Jacob's coverage of that of said squad. So make sure you're following Jacob just on principle, but also on you know some kind of sick little joy that you may get out of Nebraska basketball right now. Plenty um, of high school basketball coverage too. That's true. That's why I'm, I said on principle. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And then, uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in to White and Blue Review. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the White and Blue Review Network on iTunes so you know, so you get this podcast when it drops. And then follow all of our, you know, pre and post game coverage on whiteandbluereview.com. You know, we got you covered. So I appreciate you guys all listening, tuning in, and following along. Um, probably talk to you again pretty soon. So thanks for tuning in. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>